Hello everybody and welcome back to the technical area. Your weekly football manager podcast brought to you by me, your host, Gaffer Graham once again. I hope you're keeping well. We've had a few exciting weeks of Bundesliga action to keep us going in the real world. And obviously then we've had the news yesterday that the Premier League is set to return on June 17th. So, I don't know about you, but I am certainly very excited to see it come back. Obviously football isn't what it used to be in some ways. You can see with the Bundesliga, midweek matches, like our team's really ready to come back and embrace the full rigours of the game. It'll be a new challenge for managers, new challenges for players, and a new challenge, I suppose, for us as fans as well. But no matter what, football is coming back. And that is a cause to be celebrated, of course. But for most of us, we've had Football Manager 20 to keep us going during this barren period, during this quiet period of downtime. And in terms of FM20 action for me, it's been a very, very kind of interesting week. I've committed to it a little bit more. My medieval Total War Adventure has been parked up because I got very frustrated at it last week. And I've embraced Football Manager fully, well, as much as my laptop would allow, because just like we the issues at the start of lockdown, there seems to be some problems at times with it. So, you know, it could be the time to just jump in and get a, get a new one. I have, I think... I have a bit of time now, hopefully now, over the, the weekend to, to find a new one there. But in terms of actually FM20 action, it's been a very, very interesting week for me. We're currently sitting second in the league. Well, you know, joined second in the league. We're, we're leveling every way with Monaco, who joined us last night after I dropped two points at home to Paris Saint-Germain in dramatic circumstances. Well, you know, that did cause me some exuberant celebrations as, and to maybe have contributed to why this podcast been recording Friday morning, not like Thursday afternoon, like I'd hoped. Apologies for the delay there. But we also made it to the Coupe de France final. So, you know, we're playing Stade de Reims in the final. So a bit of excitement there, you know. Is there a possibility of getting some silverware in? That would be a, a nice bonus because so far FM20 has been a little bit barren for me in that regard. And ultimately, last night, just after the PSG game, we bowed out of the Europa League in the second knockout round. The second round of 16. Beaten 2-1 on aggregate by Sevilla. Wasn't pleasant, wasn't enjoyable. Absolutely battered them both home and away. But when your goalkeeper is Walker Farinez, um, you know, he was an absolute wall. And in comparison to Alexander Schwolo, who this season hasn't reached the heights of last season. Now I'm beginning to see the importance of what we had in season two, really, where we had full weeks to prepare for training, full weeks, full weeks of training to prepare for games, where when we don't have that same amount of time on the training ground, I think it has affected our performances individually and collectively as well. So I suppose that's going to be one an interesting topic in some place for an interesting discussion further down the line. The Blog posts I'm working on, it should be hopefully released this afternoon. I have started working on it, so just putting the finishing touches there. But it's going to be covering some interesting aspects, especially because the board aren't too happy with me. We're having some rows there. Uh, the fans aren't convinced by my management of the club. They think I'm a little overhyped. And some of the players have started to kick off. They want new contracts. They want more game time. They want this, they want that, they want the other, and it's starting to get a little bit, you know, of an issue. And then, of course, my assistant manager, his contract is up at the end of the season. He's not a great assistant. He used to be the chief scout at Wren, and I would love to make him the chief scout of Wren again. He's not interested, and not only is he not interested, he wants more wages than I'm on. So, in even more... Frustrating circumstances than any football manager player out there. Myself and my assistant aren't exactly seeing eye to eye either. So, And then just to compound the issue, I've lost Benjamin Borrigo. I don't know if 
any of you do know, but he is my favourite player with this round save. He has been phenomenal. His free kicks, his movement, his assists, everything. 10 goals last season. I think he'd been close to 10 again this season. He suffered a season-ending leg break injury. And then I've also lost Adrian Unu, the striker, who I have kind of as backup to Mbai Niang. He's also had a, suffered a potential season-ending injury. So just like last season, I'm going to be finishing this season off with a bare strike force again. And, you know, I've only got myself to blame, I suppose, in some regards, but still. You're going to be shoehorning the likes of Thiago Almada, Martin Terrier, or even just promoting some of the younger guys who aren't unknown, giving them a bit of bench time at least, just to try and see us through the rest of the season. In terms of the podcast, though, because that's what you really hear. If you're not here to, you know, get my blog post in an audio format here, you're here to listen to this podcast. Uh, we're going to continue with the three-part mini-series that we started last week, which I've entitled The Rise of the New Club. So this is part two, where we'll focus on using B-teams, reserves, second team, whatever name they get in whatever save it is you're going with. But we're going to be focusing on them to, and how we can use them to bring the maximum benefits to the first team and to the club. After last week, we dived into talking about affiliates and networking in part one. And next week, we'll be finishing off with a money ball and analytics aspect to this rise of the new club. So let's get started, shall we? Reserve teams have traditionally been seen as a pathway team. A transition from youth football to the senior level. Bridging the gap between the elite highest level a player could reach at their club and the youth academy from which they've just left. Clubs often give opportunities to youngsters, almost ready to make the grade. Rising stars coming through the academy ranks, while joined by imports not yet ready for first team squad or first teamers who are currently recovering match fitness after layoffs for whatever reason. This squad, this group of players, has always been supplemental to me. Are young players not good enough to play play out their contracts until an opportunity to move them on arrives? But after some research and after some reflection, I realise I've been doing it wrong all along. And I asked the community that same question. When it comes to your B team, your reserves, the second team, the young team, whatever name they have. When it comes to taking charge and having an input in the development and the shape of that squad, how much of an input do you have? And to be fair, 66.7% of voters said they have total, total input. 16.7% go for some and another 167 say none. So although I may be in the in the minority there with the in the, the minority third, it's interesting to see that two thirds of voters take full control of the B team. But let's see if there are any ways, any models we can look at in the real world where we can improve just how good that team is. Now of course, all the research I've done, the links these sources will be found down below if you want to go and have a read yourself and you know see if there's anything i've left out any important details that you feel there as well the underdogs will rise by using their brains and a football manager many of us like to take on the moniker of that underdog team but by using our brains that's how we can rise to the top it's how we can conquer, just like David and Goliath. We can identify inefficiencies in football and exploit them. And that's exactly what Brentford have done. Brentford were bought by a lifelong fan who made his money through professional gambling and then a betting company where he allowed the, his uh, power of numbers to overrule that human gut instinct. So although I mightn't be getting into too much detail on how Brentford is exactly run in terms of the analytics side of things, this week 
You'll be hearing me more, talk about them more again next week. In the ownership of Brentford, there is, of course, the link with FC Michelin. Under the same ownership group with the same partnership, the clubs are run the same. And the idea and the model there is that these clubs strive to become entirely self-sustainable. However, as many clubs see self-sustainable as promoting from within, Brentford encountered an issue. With players being poached in their academy for a nominal fee, Premier League subsidies for having an academy needing to be topped up by investments from the owners, from their own cash at times, the club decided and felt that it was time to rethink their academy model as the owners felt it was not self-sufficient. The ultimate decision they took was to dissolve the academy. By doing so, it allowed them to rethink their recruitment model, focus on identifying the mistakes they'd made in the past, and then focus on the mistakes being made at present, especially looking at players who they felt had been wrongly released by Premier League clubs. Revamping and reshaping the reserve squad is how they approached it, and they devised a B-team plan. So with Brentford's B-team plan, what do they do? Well, the idea is to recruit players aged from 17 into the early 20s. Players who've been released would be identified as priorities, because of course, there is no fee involved. And then they'd be recruited and the, with the proposal, with the promise that using Brentford and Brentford B could be a pathway to make it into English football if these players had come from abroad or for those players who'd been released from Premier League clubs within to make it to the senior level of the game. And what Brentford have done excellently is use their location in London. And they've used uh, having this kind of strength going for them, having this aspect. They've used it as, you know, a simple selling point to begin the process of targeting these players. And what Brentford also do is not just target players who've just been released. What they do is they help inverted commas, big clubs to capitalise on their young talents through nominal fee sales. Where So Brentford purchased a player for, you know, just a, a token fee almost. But it will always put the aspect in, always put the, the clause, the condition in, that there will be percent, a percentage of any further sale will make it back to the selling club. And, you know, the most recent example, and the example that stands out to me most from just a personal perspective, has been Joe Hardy. So Joe Hardy was released from Manchester City's under-18s. He signed for Brentford B and made a good name for himself playing at Brentford B. And in January, he was signed by Liverpool. And he went straight into the Liverpool reserves team. What the pathway and what the plan from is at Liverpool, I'm not sure, I do not know. But it's a case of making the jump from Brentford B to Liverpool has given Joe Hardy the opportunity and the potential to possibly make it into the first team as he did make his you know, first appearances for the club during those heavily congested fixture schedules and fixture classes Liverpool did have to face in the FA Cup there not too long ago. One of the interesting aspects of the recruitment model Brentford have is that a lot of the players they're targeting have been born in November and December. And one of the reasons they target these players is because a lot of these players are often released by big clubs because they're too young. And that's such an easy example for which they can target players. Because players born in November and December are almost a year younger than counterparts born in January and February, they're a year behind developmentally. So more often than not, these players are regarded as too small, too weak, and not there yet. Maturity could be lacking. 
although they're at the same age group and playing at the same bracket as some of these counterparts who, you know, at the same team, the same level, developmentally they're behind because they are almost a year younger. An easy target with Brentford use because that's what many Premier League clubs and kind of elite level clubs, that's what they might do. More B team players made it through to the Brentford first team squad in 2016 and 17 than academy products. So I suppose that gives a great example of that Brentford really believe and they're really investing in just what it is they're doing. And the thing with the B team model at Brentford is it also appeals to European players. Because that B team model exists so expansively across European football. So what Brentford will do is they'll sign players to the B team on a three-year contract. Priority given to players who play in positions that the club will have identified a vacancy currently in the B team squad or they've identified there will be a future vacancy in the first team squad. So they'll identify these players and make these priority signings each you know, each, each window, each opportunity they get to sign. If there is an significant shortage in any position the club is willing to spend a little more on the players who may fill these gaps especially if they're being judged as good enough to progress into the first team squad if they have a very good chance of making it through and i suppose a football manager that could be an interesting model which we take i know i remember i used to try you know we all love that free contract the free transfer rule first of january who's on a six month Two six months left in the deal. We all love doing it. But doing it for B team and targeting B team players, that could make an interesting save. I know many people like to do it. They looked for these long term loans, especially from, you know, top division clubs. But you know, having it using the reserves as a breeding ground could make this save a little bit more sustainable in the long run and give it a new aspect as well. One of the key selling points, one of the key tools Brentford have is they are willing to give players game time because they believe and there is a general belief that a young player is going to need 35 games and which and after those 35 games there'll be an idea of whether this player can make it or not at the level and there's not many clubs who play in the top divisions of leagues across Europe especially in very competitive leagues like the top five leagues in Europe who might have the guts to give a young player 35 games to see if he'll make it. Because what Brentford do is they identify clubs who they believe to be more reputable to them than them, bigger than them. And what they'll do is they'll target the players at these clubs. The players who they deem are affordable, realistic. So although they may not believe they can bring in some talents from the top clubs the cream of the crop per se they would still not be afraid to look and see if there's a target if there's an option there that they can make and bring in a player from there a personality is also used because they want to bring have the right group the right collective there they want to have the right you know attitude of a player who's coming in they want to know is the player going to be comfortable if he has to move to london from from Europe, will he cope and will he adjust? Will he adapt to life in another country? And that's something I've begun to notice a little bit from scout reports I get on Football Manager, saying that this player will adapt without living in a new country or won't adapt. And any player that says won't adapt, no matter how high my scouts recommend them, that's a little bit off-putting for me, especially because, you know, there is that long-term goal, that long-term plan from there. Because that long-term view is vital. Because it would, even though if you, have a commi- if you are committed and the club is committed to a long-term view, a bumpy short-term is no determiner of failure. But what clubs must do and the clubs need to do is cl- every club needs to view their players just like Brentford do as financial assets. An area of investment for growth and resale. And I asked the community that. 
would you just bring a player in to improve the caliber, improve the quality, improve the competitiveness of your B team, your reserve team, in a way many European clubs do? Because it is not uncommon that while the Brentford might look for players 17 to early 20s, some clubs across Europe might look to older players, players approaching the end of their careers, say, to bring them in and, you know, help the club see through. Was it Ralph Hassenhutl I saw was one of those players? I believe played at Bayern Munich too at one point, I think. And, you know, only 40% of the community said yes to that and 60% said no. And that's interesting because I'd be in that, I'd be in the minority there. But it's been a while since I was in the minority. Because in Football Manager 17, I noticed that my second team, Schalke 2, Schalke 5, they were not being very competitive. They were struggling in the league. There were, every news report I got, like more often than not, they were losing matches. Not uncommon. But I wanted to make that team more com- competitive. So, what did I do? I went out and I brought in a number of players each summer to make them more competitive in the division they were playing and, you know, to try and make that team as best as possible. I left the management of the team and, you know, the, the handling of transfers out to the director of football and to the, the club manager, the, the team manager. They decided if a fee came in, they decided to move a player on, they decided to offer contracts. I left that entirely up to them. I absolved or washed my hands of that aspect. But I brought players in. And the idea was to make them more competitive. And then like that, because you'd be selling these players, try to make a profit out of it. So while I brought them in for nothing, most of these players, when they left, brought in a transfer fee so people see a profit. So that recoup, whatever money I'd get in, that could actually just be their wages. That could have just covered the wages I paid on the player over the last couple of years. And then I bring someone in to replace them. That was one of the examples I can think of most strongly is Jack Bourne. Brought Jack Bourne in after being released by Oldham. Uh, he played fantastically well. And he didn't last very long at Schalke 2. Schalke's Vi. And then he made the move for almost oh, two, two and a half million pounds to Etzgeberger Aua. I think it was. So I remember the name, trying to pronounce the name to myself at the time. Obviously, Jack Bourne's career has gone a little bit differently in real life. Currently, star of the Shamrock Rovers team, the League of Ireland. Some view him as the best player in the League of Ireland, technically and ability-wise. More to look if you're, you know, in the market for a creative midfielder. But he's also made his Ireland debut, so he's a full international. So, I suppose that um, his career maybe has gone a little bit better in real life than it did with me in foot- back in Football Manager 17. But what the B teams do, and having a solid B team, having a good investment model there, is they allow biggest clubs an opportunity to gain, to give their players, I know, an opportunity to gain more experience of forcing football at a competitive level. And across Europe, that's what we see. We see young players been given the opportunity to grow and develop at these younger clubs that are part of the first team squads. It's not unusual for the B team, for the second team, to not train with the first team. And I suppose in Europe, the consensus isn't there that you know the B team should be competing in competitive leagues in the footballing pyramid. France, for example, there is no... Uh, reserve teams competing in the football pyramid. France, just like England, the reserve teams compete against other reserve teams. Italy, most clubs do not have a second team. And the fact that Juventus recently were given permission to feel a second team, an under-23 team in the football pyramid, has come to a lot of backlash and a lot of criticism. But it's not just players who can often grow at the B teams. Guardiola, Enrique and Zidane, they all cut their cloths at the second teams of Real Madrid and Barcelona. And we've seen the success they've had in their management careers when they've stepped it up to the first team. Rafa Benitez made a name for himself managing Real Madrid Castilla, just like Zidane. 
and we've seen the career Rafa has gone to enjoy. And even Vicente Del Bosque, the famous Spanish manager, even he started his career in management at Castilla. But of course there is the backlash to why are these second teams competing in the footballing pyramid. And in Ireland that's something we're even talking about a lot this year. So Shamrock Rovers B, Shamrock Rovers 2 I think they're called at this time. They are going to play in the first division. So Ireland, there's 22 kind of major tiers of football in Ireland. It's And, and the first division is a closed off tier. Teams only bow out if for tend to be just for financial reasons. So Limerick FC had financial issues. There was uh, a lot of questions, a lot of queries of who would fill the gap. There was hope up until the last minute, but ultimately Shamrock Rovers were given permission to fill this, to, for them to take up the extra position, meaning they have a team of both divisions of Irish football. And that there's been, there's been significant criticism from the other first division clubs, feeling that, you know, it's disrespectful, it's, you know, disingenuous, it's watering down the quality of the league. They've threatened to boycott the fixtures against Shamrock Rovers too. Fans have said that we're not going to watch those matches because we're not going to watch, you know, the second team play against our first team. And the thing with this is, like, Shamrock Rovers have entered this willingly and they've entered this, you know, under different registration rules to what other teams are allowed. They're only allowed three outfield players and one goalkeeper from the Premier Division squad uh, to play in reserve team games. But of course, you know, you think of it yourself. Think of your team and football manager right now. If you have, you know, your sub-goalkeeper, who's lacking a bit of match fitness, so you know what, I'll make him available for the reserves. But the reserves don't play reserve football, they play, you know, second-tier football. You know, you know that goalkeeper is going to be challenged and that's a good way for him to build up match fitness. And the same way for three outfield players. And because of, you know, Shamrock Rovers doing this, Shamrock Rovers perceived as one of the biggest clubs in Irish football and, you know, arguably are. Current champions Dundalk, they are have also a growing interest in being able to field the second team, a B team, and adding them to the footballing pyramid in Ireland. And especially because this is the second time Shamrock Rovers have been given this permission. So just like Juventus in Italy, it seems like this is a model, something the big clubs, the big teams, they really, really are passionate. They really, really want to bring about. But of course, like we've just said, there are different registration rules. So while Brentford may impose registration rules on themselves, and, you know, philosophy ages whatever when these teams compete in the footballing pyramid there is of course the challenge there for clubs to put together a squad that meets the different registration rules that are needed in spain teams you know can only go as far as the segunda division players must be under the age of 23 or under 25 with a professional contract in Germany, teams cannot make it past the third tier, meaning that there is that that gap between the first team, which may be in the Bundesliga, and then of course the Bundesliga zwei is left, you know, as a cushion, a gap where the second teams cannot compete. Teams have separate squads where players cannot move between clubs. So, of course, that means then, while Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk might try in Ireland, that option isn't there in Germany. And even to the extent of the likes of Bayer Leverkusen, they folded their reserve side in recent years. They felt that the standard that this second squad, the Bayer Leverkusen, the standard was too low, they felt, in the league. So what they've done is, under-19s must compete. And only the best of the under-19s will earn a contract to get into the senior squad and the rest will be released. Only the best make it, so they only take the cream of the crop. But of course, that is a flawed method. Kevin Campbell, one of the players who they released, Kevin Campbell was of course picked up. Kevin Campbell re-signed for Bayer Leverkusen, then for £10 million. So 
So there is a flaw to that system. There is a challenge. In Portugal, B teams also compete in the footballing pyramid. Teams must have a squad with a minimum of 10 academy products and, a, and it's, you know three players over the age of 23. In Holland, now the Dutch model is very similar to what we have in Ireland because uh, Ruud Dutker is, you know, has a very, very, is a Dutch coach who has a very, very significant role in, you know, the development of football in the League of Ireland. If you, in, and, you know, for the Irish national team as well. If you do a coaching course in Ireland, one of the big things I like to push is total football style, you know, training approaches, playing 4-3-3 and maximising the use of triangles. Something very, very Dutch for any of you familiar with that. So to see that the Dutch rules and the Irish rules are so similar, you know, shouldn't be surprising. But the thing with Dutch football, so if the sim- well, similar rules are imposed that like one goalkeeper and three outfield players uh, is the maximum that can you know, move between squads at a time, a player who's played more than 15 times for the first team is ineligible for the second team. And I like that rule. I like that caveat. Because it means that for the first team, you have to be, you know, you, you can't be kind of taking advantage of the loophole that your second team plays in a lower division. And by you moving players between squads, it gives them an unfair advantage, especially mid-season, especially outside of the transfer windows. But the other aspect of that Dutch model is, you know, these young teams, they do not always thrive. Despite, you know, Young Ajax's title win in 2017-18 in the Erste Division. This like the, you know, division just below the Eredivisie. They were blocked promotion, naturally enough. Because Ajax, of course, play in the top division. So they were given the, you know, the unique honour of having to defend their title. And what, and they, but what most Dutch clubs, what they do is most of those young sides are made up of teenagers. And not many, you know, foreign players play in these sites. And then professional contracts are also minimised in where they're handed out. Only the most talented youngsters will earn a professional contract. That, of course, makes competition very fierce. Within the squad, and of course, on the pitch, that attitude could also be brought out as well. Because players competing against each other and collectively to show off their abilities best and earn themselves those pro deals. The MLS, of course, a unique situation exists where you know there is no relegation, there is no promotion. But a lot of MLS reserve teams will play in the USL Championship, which is a recognised second level of the US soccer pyramid. You know, but I suppose the US soccer pyramid is a conversation. I suppose not just for today as part of this B team podcast here but when you have a B team like this B teams who can compete in the footballing pyramid I suppose the best idea and the idea behind these models is that these development squads what they do is they seek to give young players the best opportunity to play football is it always positive is it always the right move I don't know I can understand the people who are against it but in the same regard, I can understand the people who are for it as well. The Checker Trade Trophy has become, you know, a, f- a source of much ridicule in English football because of Premier League under 23 clubs being given the opportunity, the invitation to participate. That while I, if I was a fan of one of the League One, League Two teams competing in that competition, I may not be too. Happy to see on a Thursday night my team are going to be playing the under-23s of a Premier League club. From the Premier League club perspective, I can totally understand why they'd want to take part and participate and give their players the best opportunity to compete against, you know, good standard of professional football. Give them an experience that reserve football just does not offer. Of course, then there is the question. Are the standard of European teams who play senior football at a lower level than the clubs who only play their reserve counterparts? And the UEFA Youth League, that of course, 
you know, is a place where there is a lot of conversation taking place. As we see mixed results across Europe from B teams competing against like the under twenty three rivals, reserve rivals who don't partic- who don't play at the top level. You know, and it's not hard to see why there is a lot of arguments for these reserve B teams competing in a footballing pyramid. If you're managing a team in football manager that has a competitive reserve squad because they're in the footballing pyramid you're in, it's a great opportunity for you to take advantage of a great opportunity, a great breeding ground for your young players. But for those of you just like me, or reserve teams only play against other reserve teams. Are our players, you know, going to develop as well as we'd hope? In England, of course, it's not, you don't have to go too far to see a media report where a journalist is lambasting the fact that English football is failing young talent, and young English talent especially. That while their European counterparts can compete in the footballing pyramid, they develop, they become excellent players in top teams, whether it's in that nation's top league or internet across Europe, wherever it is. They would go on and they compete excellently at continental, international tournaments. Their national team wins a championship because these players develop well. Is English football really failing these young players? The FA, English clubs... That elite player performance plan that's been in skate came in at a significant cost. And St George's Park as well. Being opening that, spending so much money on developing that centre to be a place where young players have an opportunity and the facilities to develop at state of the art level. The current you know global situation, it's not uncommon now to hear about so many clubs that are threatened with extinction clubs being forced to release all of their players and playing staff and because they can't afford to pay the bills because there's no money coming in and the question now exists could the likes of league one and league two and their equivalents across europe could they suddenly become feeder clubs or premier league clubs could the networking and affiliates that we talked about last week evolve to a new level in a way that we've seen with Red Bull and the City Group where you know could we see clubs absolved of their identity these you know identities of these clubs fading away spoke to you know meet with the the common trend of their you know their local affiliate their national affiliate or but could this also be a way around the debate of Avoiding any further conversation of whether Premier League clubs should be afforded the opportunity to have their B teams, reserve teams, enter the footballing pyramid. Many clubs have encountered these issues in the past. Many clubs have seen their B teams separate away and enter the footballing pyramid independently. Malaga is a name that pops to mind there it's an interesting story actually you should you know read it if you're if you do have an interest and see how malaga have gone through many iterations with their b team but it is a struggle and it is a debate about where the b team should be able to participate for us as football manager players all we know is once those players get to the age of 18 first team football is the best place for them to develop and i suppose how we approach those reserve teams and B teams all depends on who we are managing at the moment and the opportunities we can give our players. I found with Ren, the reserves for me really are a place for first team players to recover their fitness. For young prospects who I'm hoping to bring through, you know, to keep them match sharp. So when I do need them for the first team, they've gotten the match sharpness and the match fitness with the reserve squad the reserve squad is also full of a lot of players who aren't good enough for the first team and i just hope with the reserve squad they can earn themselves a loan or a transfer move elsewhere 
even a free contract if they run their contract down. Like, I do have some issue with the fact that this team only competes in the reserve league. And like that, many other European leagues, if I'd managed a different team, I could be having the opportunities to have these young players compete at a level that I wouldn't try to be fine loan mills for them. They'd be using the club's facilities, so I know I'm not vetting a club who's made a loan bid to see if their facilities are good enough to help my player develop, or the coach is good enough to develop them, that I have a bit more of a say in just how that comes along. And in terms of recruitment for that under-23s, I've tried a similar model to what I had at Schalke. Not as effectively as Brentford, but the model where my director of football, you know, I'm letting him bring players in. He's signing players, you know, fees of million euros or less, maybe, to improve the squad. But a lot of these players he's bringing in, they're just not good enough. They're players who I scouted beforehand, and they said, yeah, he'll be all right. He'll be a decent league on player. He might be a good league on player. That's not the standard I want anymore. But yeah, money is still can be hemorrhaged away. And I need to rethink this model. Because really right now, as things stand at Ren, I'm not realising the full potential of what that reserve squad can be. Because Brentford have left me plenty of food for thought. Though, of course, their move to disband the Youth Academy, to revamp the reserve squad into a B team, has subsequently seen them deemed ineligible to compete in the reserve leagues of English football, Premier League 2, whatever league they would be eligible for. They are suddenly, because of this B team, they've been deemed ineligible. And these players can only earn match fitness through playing friendly matches against whoever they can get a friendly match against. And to be fair to Brentford, they're very much on the ball there organizing as many friendly matches as possible throughout uh, the season of course we all do like to play friendlies kind of during international breaks if we feel you know we want to keep players sharp and so on but even as well for pre-season games against teams playing the calendar year uh, seasons Brentford are always available and willing to travel I think they're willing to travel to Cyprus just before the the lockdown of European football happened as well so although what Brentford's move to revamp and remodel our whole academy, it isn't an option, it's not a feature in FM20. The approach can be something we do as well. Necessity breeds innovation. Such is the way at Brentford as it was with the Oakland A's, who, as we know, took a money ball approach. It's something we'll talk about again next week. But what Brentford have done is they've become innovators at this second level of English football they bring these players in and develop them financially securing the future of the club as these players do move on but also acting financially astute in how they bring the players into the club as well the B team for them and the B team for us it can act as a bridge for young players, not immediately ready to make the jump to the first team. Some of these players may be late developers. There may be players who fall through the cracks so easily with us and we see them rise to success elsewhere, just like Kevin Campbell for Bayer Leverkusen and now of RB Leipzig. When we have these B teams competing at a good standard, any of us in football manager in a position who can have them compete, our B teams compete at a good level, we can control the exposure of our young talents to first team football. And we can take full responsibility for their development and have that progress happen solely within the club. 87.5% of football manager players who voted on the poll, you know, They'd want their reserve teams competing in the footballing pyramid. We all would. If we were the fans of the smaller teams, maybe we'd be opposed to it. But we all have that goal, that dream, that vision with our clubs and football manager for that to happen. 
We all want those teams to bring success and those players to develop well. In 1980, Real Madrid, Castilla, they made it to the Copa del Rey final. In the final, they played Real Madrid. So imagine having that situation arise. Now, Real Madrid promptly bet their in-house rivals 6-1 in the final. But the result was you know, irrelevant to the future of Real Madrid-Castilla. Because this Real Madrid-Castilla team subsequently qualified for the Cup Winners' Cup. Granted, they did bow out 6-4 to West Ham. But that loophole has been closed up in Spain to prevent any repeats of, you know, these, you know, reserve team, B teams, making it through to the cup final. But it shows that there could be some success because this Castilla team did beat La Liga teams, La Liga caliber teams. I'm not sure our players are on that team offhand. But I'm sure that exposure to first-team football and that success they experienced stood by them as they went through their careers. For some, anyway. But with these B teams, it's time for us to be more ruthless with our youth talents. Just like in Holland and Germany, where Bayer Leverkusen operate. Only the best get a contract. Only the cream of the crop are crap. Will make the B team, that youth team, reserve team, whatever the name is, more competitive. We bring in free transfers from other clubs and nominal fee players. Players who become, you know, future first team talents for us or elsewhere, flipping them for a profit. Of course, it'll demand us to be more hands on with our control of the club. Like that two thirds of voters on football manager. The poll here with the technical area, they said they do take full control of that reserve team. So maybe for the third of us who mightn't be as full control, time for us to roll up our sleeves and for those who do do it, to add another little dynamic to that squad. Because like I said already, this side can truly become an in-house feeder club for the first team. We're adopting a model and creating a purpose. It's what needs to be done. And me, myself, I know I have to be more ruthless with these young players. Because I know I can be a little soft when it comes to discarding them. Because I don't want to hurt their virtual feelings. So the next time you load up football managers, take a look at that reserve squad, B squad, second squad, young squad, whatever the name, moniker there is. Maybe you don't have them because you're managing by a Leverkusen or someone else. And now maybe it's time for you to think. How can I use this B-team squad, this youth squad, this second squad to sustain my growth in football manager? And for us to be like so many other clubs across Europe and rise to the top on the strength of this team. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please Leave a positive review, rating, share, tweet, whatever it is. Because, you know, all your support is greatly, greatly appreciated here. Feel free to get in touch. Check out this uh, on Twitter. Links below. And, you know, check out the links below. You'll take you see and you can go to the Technical Area site. My blogging home. Where hopefully there'll be a blog post up soon about the first half of season three. And with Ren. Weirder community interactions do provide a vital form of the podcast. So thank you to everyone who did participate in the polls through the voting of this week. And, you know, please continue to get involved. Everything is greatly appreciated. I know, you know Black CFM did have some thoughts on the reserve team squad. That certainly got me thinking as well when I was putting together the script of this podcast. Uh, in terms of the Weirder Community plug this week, that a quarterly the third issue came out today so go check it out if you haven't already i'm sure you may be familiar with the bloggers on it i'm sure you may be familiar even with the latte quarterly itself and you probably have already read it but if you haven't or you haven't you know heard of latte quarterly for whatever reason 
I'll have a link below, so go and check it out. Again, it's a fantastic read. And as well, you know, who doesn't like sitting down with a nice brew of whatever, whether it's a latte, a nice latte, or, you know, something a bit weaker, something a bit stronger, whatever it is, it takes your fancy, and enjoying a good football manager read. Great chance there as well. Like I said, sources for all the research I've done we found down below. And the music for this podcast has come from Pond5. So until next week, where we'll finish with part three, talking about Moneyball and analytics. Check out the polls as they come out next week. Feel free to get involved. Tell me how you approach things. But until next week, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your football manager. Enjoy your Bundesliga action, your Belarusian league action, or the K-League, whatever it is you're watching. Enjoy it all. I'll talk to you next week. Bye now.